Yo, evening, my friends. So somebody asked me how my day was. My day was lovely. Thank you very much. Get to spend it with you glorious people this evening. And um, got to spend it with my daughter uh, today. We drove to a farm and we got some ducks. We were only going to get one duck, but then the lady was saying that they get kind of lonely if they're all alone. So we picked up one call duck. We picked up one Pekin duck. And they are, one of them is two days old, one of them is one day old. And they are about as cute as things could be. They fell asleep on my lap earlier. And, um, you know, whatever troubles are going on in your life, whatever troubles are going on in your world, and there's usually some damn thing going on, um, it's hard not to get pretty damn zen when you've got two baby ducklings asleep on your muffin top. So, yeah, that's, <clears throat> that's pretty sweet. So that was my day. And uh, it just reminded me how glad I am to not drive too much in this life. Because, man, there was some driving today. There was some driving today. My volume is a little low. Yeah, I think we can fix that. Volume is a little low. All right. How's that? Any better? Any better? Volume is a little low. Um, all right. <clears throat> so let's uh, get some questions in. I was just saying in the preamble to the show, how I am only great when I get great questions. No pressure, but the quality of philosophy that we hand like a baton down to future generations comes entirely down to you poking my brain and stimulating me into great speeches with great questions. I don't know what they are. Otherwise, I was going to ask them myself. But why are most big-name CEOs so woke? Okay, so there are... So uh, my first career trajectory in the business world was actually not in tech, but in HR, in human resources. Now, in human resources, human resources is where you put people that you kind of have to hire and you don't really know what to do with. And so you, you create this. And there was no such thing as human resources before women started to come en masse into the business world, right? Now, they don't have direct line profitability responsibilities. You know, if, if you've got to produce a certain number of widgets every hour, you've got to produce a certain number of widgets every hour. And if you don't, you get a warning. And if you continue not to, you get fired. So there's kind of like a reality to all of that. But that's kind of stressful for some people, right? So what the, you, you put them in HR and you say, okay, well, I guess we have to have some. And so we'll put them there. And they don't have any direct line responsibilities. It's really tough to gauge how they do. And so they're HR is to a large degree subsidized by regulations and requirements. And what happens in HR is you get a whole bunch of activists. Because activism versus profitability only occurs when you're really tied into profitability. So you get a lot of job security in HR because of regulations, and you end up with a lot of activism. And those activists in HR, like there's a lot of people who view the world as foundationally immoral, you know, bigoted, sexist, racist, homophobic, and so on. And they'll smash just about anything in order to rid the world of the evils that they see. And they see those evils, you know, just about everywhere because they've been taught that all disparities in group outcomes are the result of bigotry, and there will always be disparities in group outcomes. That's one of the ways you define them as groups. And so you will never, ever solve that issue. It's, it's a modern updating of... Uh, the thought crime, right? So the thought crime 
comes out of various religious teachings. And the thought crime is if you look at another woman in lust, that's the same as cheating. If you look at another man's possessions with envy, that's the same as stealing. Right? So the way that you paralyze the most moral among you, because the most moral among us are the ones who generally threaten the status quo, and the way that you paralyze them is you set them against themselves. So you give the most moral among you impossible to achieve moral standards. And that way they're paralyzed. And the greater their conscience, the greater their conscientiousness, the greater their commitment to morality, the greater danger they pose to the elites, and the greater paralysis they then occur. So what you do is you set absolutely impossible moral goals. And then the people most sensitive to immorality will end up in spiral, dry heave circles of guilt and recrimination and won't pose any threat. They won't come up with UPB. They won't talk about taxation. They won't talk about the powers that be. They won't talk about the power structures. Because what they do is they obsessively sit in the dark and say, oh, yeah, I, oh, man, I did. You know, I, I looked at somebody else's food and I really, really wanted it. And that's a sin of gluttony. So I've really got to work on that. You know, and then, and then I saw um, a lingerie catalog and I felt lust. I got to deal with that. And I, you just set them obsessively focusing on every little impulse that their lizard brain kicks up. Call it evil and you par paralyze people with impossible to achieve moral goals. And not just impossible to achieve moral goals, but hell if you don't achieve those moral goals. And uh, it was some, gosh, it was some Law and Order episode I was flipping past years ago. And the guy, one of the detectives was told, well, Jesus wouldn't do that. And the detective just said, well, Jesus is perfect. I'm not. And that way he got to shrug off these endless and bottomless moral commandments. And this is something that uh, I haven't talked about in this show in years and years and years, but it was a very formative moment in my life. I don't know if you've ever had anything similar. If you have, then, uh, you know, please let me know. But what happened for me was, there's an old Cliff Richard song, Power to all our friends, to the music that never ends, or something like that, right? I like the song. He actually does a really nice duet with Van Morrison as well, really soft, foggy-voiced kind of guy. Not, not, not as velvet-fogged as Mel Torme, but a pretty, pretty good singer and a, and a staunch Christian. And I was playing with my cousin. I was very, very little. After I was born, my mother went into pretty catastrophic post-birth depression, postnatal depression, and she ended up being hospitalized for quite a long time. And I ended up living with my aunt and uncle. And I have a cousin there. And I was playing with him in the attic. And I think that song was playing on a radio somewhere in the house. Because I remember very clearly the tinny song. Now, you ever have it? Somebody uh, posted in, in one of my social media accounts the other day. Don't, don't I remember you? Don't, don't I remember you from the cinematographer's party, which is a song from Paul Simon's album Graceland. And literally for then two days, that worm went into my brain. I know what I know. <laughs> and 
I don't know if you have memories of you either were listening to the song directly or it was playing in your head to the point where it might have been vivid. I remember being stuck in the woods in the winter when I was working up north after high school and I had to wait for someone. They had to take the um, snowmobile back. They'd forgotten some important tools we needed for our drilling project. And so he left me there. It was a beautiful sunny day. And I was sitting there in the woods. I ended up lying down on the snow. And I listened to my favorite album in my brain <laughs> at the time. I think it was Day at the Races or something like that from Queen. And I just reproduced it at all in stereo with all as many instruments as I could think of. And I just went through the whole album in my head. And you can get yourself to the point where you can really quite clearly hear it. Anyway, so I was <clears throat> playing with my cousin, the age of two or three, in the attic of the house. And that song, Power to All Our Friends to the Music That Never Ends, was playing somewhere in the house. Or it was just very vivid in my brain. And I felt a very cold, a very negative eye somewhere up in the rafters above me. You ever watch the movie um, The Name of the Rose with Sean Connery and you expect the devil to appear at any moment? That's kind of what it was like. And I had this very strong, very powerful feeling that that was God and if I liked, if I loved God, I had to hate that song. And if I loved that song, I couldn't be good with God. And I remember many years later seeing Scorsese's movie with Willem Dafoe, a great, great soundtrack from Peter Gabriel called Last Temptation, The Last Temptation of Christ. And he's like, do I live for the next world? Do I live for the higher world? Or do I live for this world? And it's not a great movie at all. The acting's good. I remember that. Didn't he have to tape down his boners while he was getting crucified, which is very kinky and all. But, um, you know, do you, do you live for the higher world or do you live for this world? And I, of course, could have rejected the song and embraced God, but feeling that then I would then have to reject the world that is, the world that was. And it was tempting, but there was such a coldness in the eye. Now, of course, some people have since told me that that was the devil, not God, but it feels pretty punitive for the first, quote, spiritual experience I had as a very little boy to be the devil. So my perspective was that it was God, and I could not leave the music of the world and the beauty of the world behind to ascend like some helium balloon into the interstellar depths of an infinite consciousness and leave my body, my hearing, my love of the senses. Sensuality is a very powerful thing. To love touch, to love sound, music, to love sunsets, to love the beauty of the world around you, to love taste, great food, you know, that's a, that's a horrible thing to leave behind. And it also felt like, why would a God design me to love all of these things and then command me to abandon them and hate them or reject them? It <clears throat> did not seem like a good path to abandon the world 
and float up to that eye and gain the approval of the eye by denying everything that gave me pleasure. That just didn't seem like the right course. Look, I, and I understand, obviously, it's, it's, these, these aren't all the thoughts that I had when I was two or three. These were just sort of instincts that I had, that I recoiled from the eye because I loved the song. And to wrap yourself in the material is what it is to be human. Our humanity is defined by our materiality. So the reason I'm telling you all of this is I had the temptation to set myself against myself. I had the temptation to oppose everything that I loved in the material sense and to spend the rest of my days, endless that they would be, to spend the rest of my days fighting myself, opposing myself. And the more you fight yourself, the less able you are to fight evil, which is one of the reasons why evil will set up impossible moral standards. And the tension and, and frustration that you have paralyzes you into fighting real battles. And that's why, like in this show, over the last 16 years, I've never set up an impossible moral standard. Not once, not ever, and never will I do so. To set up an impossible moral standard is to paralyze the moral muscles needed to oppose the evildoers in the world. Somebody says, I've been doing that for years. I'm finally breaking that. Now, there's, there's two ways that morality serves evildoers. <clears throat> and this relates back to the question of the CEOs and the woke corporations and so on. So if you can convince the most moral that they must war against themselves, that takes them out of the battle in the world for the future. It's like if you can say to a boxer, let's say that, that I'm a boxer and I'm fighting a guy named Jake, right? And somehow I can get Jake to believe that he must be in absolutely perfect health before he can fight. Absolutely perfect health before he can fight. Is it ever possible to be absolutely in absolute perfect health? Well, of course not. Because if you exercise, then you are going to hurt your joints a little, hurt your muscles a little, particularly as you, as you age. So the fitter you get, the more you court injury. You'd never be in perfect health. But if I'm really scared of Jake, and he's going to kick my ass Will Smith style all up and down the boxing ring, then I absolutely want to convince him that he cannot fight me or anyone for that matter until he's in absolutely perfect physical health and readiness. And since he will never ever be in perfect physical health and readiness, all he's going to do is spend all of his time haven't you missed me? Of course you have. He's going to spend all of his time training and preparing, and punching the bag and skipping the rope and all the running up and down the steps, Rocky style. He's going to spend all his time doing that. 
And he's never going to fight me. He's never going to fight anyone else. He is no danger to anyone in the boxing world because perfection has been the standard of participation in boxing. Now, of course, I will want to train, but I'm not going to have a standard of perfection. The only perfection is did I win the fight? That's the only perfection. Did I win the fight? So the most dangerous people need to be infected with thought crime, that they must endlessly police themselves and run after a train that they will never catch called moral perfection. So that's the one side, right? That's the one side. Now, the other side, the other side is really quite different. And what that is, is you say to people, there are perfect moral standards but I'm not going to set you at war against yourself. Oh, no, because I need you to be an enforcer. See, the paralysis just takes out the strongest moral voices. But you need the enforcers to frighten and bully and put down everyone else, right? I've talked about the slave-on-slave violence as the foundation of oligarchical hierarchies. You don't, get to, you don't beat up the slaves, at least not too much, but you get the slaves to beat up each other for even questioning the system, right? So you need the enforcers. Now, the way that you get the enforcers, if you're in charge of the culture and so on, right? The way that you get the enforcers is you say there, are, there, are, there is a perfect moral standard that other people are violating. You are perfect. But those other people are really evil and need to be punished for that evil doing. You are morally perfect. Those people are morally evil and must be punished. And your morality is based upon punishing them. Your moral perfection increases as you punish the people who are the evildoers. So you take the universalists and the really strong moral conscience people out of the equation by giving them a fight they can never win against their own material impulses. And then you take the mass of midwits and you say, oh, there are evildoers. And you're perfectly virtuous only insofar as you attack those evildoers. Those evildoers have been a lot of different groups. It doesn't really matter. It matters to the evildoers, of course. Hello. <laughs> right? It, it doesn't matter in terms of our analysis. It certainly matters to the people involved, right? You've had your infidels, you've had your uh, blasphemers, uh, you've had your racists, you've had your witches, you've had your warlocks, you've had your devil worshippers, you've had uh, uh, sexists, uh, you've had uh, transphobes and, and turfs and homophobes. You, you create some, gr some group that you are morally obliged to attack and destroy in order to be virtuous. And that creates a slave-on-slave -slave violence that keeps people distracted from the real powers in the world. Right, so you understand, if you can convince people to attack themselves, that takes them out of the equation of fixing society. If you can convince massive groups of people to attack others, then you create a kind of civil war in your society that has people fighting each other. Right? Like that famous scene in Life of Brian when the revolutionaries are all fighting each other and the Roman guards are just sitting there like, oh my God, yeah, yeah, let them, let them do their thing, right? 
that we don't have to get involved. We can just beat up on each other. So the, moral the impossible moral standard in the past used to be no bad thoughts, not even a bad thought, not even a bad impulse. A wet dream is a sin, right? <clears throat> Lust, unacted upon, is a sin. Even thinking about food makes you fat morally, right? So give that impossible moral standard. That was in the past. Now, as people lost their faith in religion, in particular Christianity, you had to create a new impossible moral standard, right? Anybody know what the new impossible moral standard is? It's not bad thoughts. What are the impossible moral standards? Social justice, sure, but that's a bit abstract, right? In more, more particular, Marcus, what do you got? What is the impossible, what is the impossible moral requirement to call a society moral, and it will never be achieved. Yeah, universal equity, egalitarianism, equality of outcome, right? Anything that has the word social in it is equality of outcome. So justice is equality of opportunity. Social justice is equality of outcome. So if you can find any group that is underrepresented or claims that they are, in any particular area, then you can claim that the only reason that there's not a perfect equality of outcome is because of racism, sexism, bigotry, exploitation, profit-seeking, price-gouging, you name it, right? So before, you had to have no bad thoughts. Now, you have to have no, quote, inequality. No bad thoughts paralyze the moral actors. Equality weaponizes the moral actors. Now, once people have done deep immorality, deep immorality in the cause of virtue, right? Once they've punished, attacked, slandered, lied about, deplatformed, libeled, slandered, or physically attacked once they have been roped into the dark machinations of the black army of hyper-egalitarianism, man, they're in. They got the tattooed tear. They're in. And then something very interesting happens in society. Well, it happens not a theory. It's happening right now. What happens in society is that the people who've done great ill and harm to the innocent, based upon all disparities in outcome are the result of evil, that it is perfectly, in fact, encouraged, perfectly permissible, if not encouraged, to violently attack and destroy. All the people who've acted on that view any potential competing or alternate explanation for society as a great predator that would reveal them, if true, as evil. So the midwits who've been weaponized into attacking those who question the one answer fits everything, prejudice and bigotry for disparate outcomes. You know, people like me or whoever, right? people who talk about alternative or 
complementary or even displacing arguments and facts about, quote, inequality. Right, so the people who say, well, women only earn 67 cents on the dollar or 70 cents or 80 cents on the dollar for men because racism, sorry, sexism, because sexism, right? People who come up with other arguments. Now, sorry, the people who say that are perfectly willing to use the power of the state to force people to hire women, use the power of the state to force people to give additional benefits and, and uh, maternity leaves and so on to women, and smash and destroy and attack anybody who comes up with competing over alternate explanations. Because once you've got someone, not just to believe in a, a thought system that makes them good, but to act on it to the point where they've harmed the innocent, once you've got people to do the black deeds of punishment on the innocent, they usually fight to the death to maintain that system because they have gained all, they're, they're addicts, right? They're addicts to the dopamine of feeling good. Now, feeling good by doing good, genuine objective virtue is a good thing. But feeling good by doing evil, well, that's a hell of an addiction. And because you're attacking and punishing the virtuous, you faced almost no chance of blowback. By attacking the virtuous, the thoughtful, the sensitive, the curious, the innocent, then you gain the dopamine of feeling like you're fighting evil without actually incurring any risk. Of like, why do more people attack Christianity than Scientology? Scientology is heavily litigious, right? So people like to attack Christians because attacking a group that says you have to love your enemies poses virtually no risk. So they get the dopamine of feeling like they're doing good, fighting superstition and irrationality while incurring no risk. And gaining all the dopamine of everyone approving them and calling them stunning and brave and wonderful and heroic and but no risk. No risk. Now, any group that is regularly attacked because it provides the dopamine to people who want to do good without incurring the wrath of any evildoers, any group that then tries to fight back must be ruthlessly crushed and suppressed by society as a whole because otherwise it's going to interfere with the dopamine drip, the addiction, the drug supply of feeling good rather than doing good, or rather feeling good by doing evil, attacking those who won't attack back, attacking the conscientious, attacking the virtuous. Why gay people go to Christian bakers to bake their cakes rather than other religions where there might be some blowback, right? So once you've got people addicted to doing evil for the cause they consider good, anything that questions that cause of virtue is extraordinarily dangerous to their psyche. Because here's the thing, like, it's like a drug addict, somebody who's addicted to barbiturates or benzodiazepines or opiates, whatever. The drug addict knows it's an addiction, knows it's bad, would like to stop at any time. But the person addicted to the 
natural opiates of punishing evildoers and promoting, quote, virtue, that person doesn't recognize the, the addiction is destructive. In fact, they view the addiction as virtuous. It's not even an addiction. It's a commitment to the cause of good and equality. And so you can't fix something that isn't even identified as a problem, or rather which is identified as a virtue. So some people, like there are famous stories of the writers who would drink, right? Now, the writers wouldn't say, drinking is, is wonderful and great and I should do it and everyone should do it. They'd say, yeah, well, it's the only way I can write. Because alcohol is a depressant. It's a disinhibitor, right? So you can, some people can write better without self-editing and they can write with more flow when they're drunk or when they're drinking. So they say, well, you know, I need it to, I need it to write. But if you could give them the ability to write without being drunk, they'd probably take it because they recognize that it's a negative. But the only way to get the people doing evil under the guise of good to recognize that it's a problem is to completely rewrite the ethics in their head and reveal them as evildoers rather than the Gabriels and white-winged flappers of virtue. Right? You gotta, they think they're angels, but if you hold up a mirror, they see the face of a devil. They don't want to do that. That is crushing to your identity in a way that I assume people like you and I would just can't understand it. Just can't understand what the hell it would be like to have thought you're doing good, to have attacked people, to have threatened people, to have scorned people, to have lied about people, to have destroyed people, to have gotten them fired, to have encouraged violence against them. In the perfect chest-thumping, angelic certainty that you are on the side of good truth, heroism, and virtue. To have smashed up people's lives and destroyed anyone who disagrees with you or questions you in the full and certain dull-witted half-ape-like knowledge that you are just so virtuous. It's like that meme with this is some German soldier. I think it's from, I don't know, Hogan's Heroes or something like that. It's some German soldier, some porky German soldier in the Second World War, like, Wait a minute. Can we, can we be the bad guys? And he looks very troubled. And the people who smash and who censor and who promote and provoke violence or use violence or approve of violence or love violence. If they think they're working for the cops, turns out they're working for the cartels. You know, that's kind of a crisis. <laughs> that's kind of an existential, that's a real, absolutely godforsaken existential crisis. Like memento, right? You think you're doing good, you're doing evil. So CEOs are full of people who say the purpose of the power of this corporation is to do good. It's part of this bring your whole self to work thing, which is, you know, people who don't have lives, right? They can't just do the job. You know, like the teachers who want to talk all about their romantic entanglements on the weekend, stray gay or other, stray uh, um, gay, straight or other, 
just come in and do the job. But no, because you bring your whole self to work and the whole purpose of the power of this organization is to promote equality and justice and virtue and egalitarianism and to punish the evildoers, which of course, once you're broken that way, you don't get much pleasure out of life except by smashing up other people that the powers that be have told you are immoral. If you can't get a woman, at least you can hunt a witch. Right? If you can't get a man, at least you can scream and cry about the patriarchy on TikTok. Right? Hands, are we the baddies? That's the one, right? I mean, the whole time I was growing up, I didn't know my teacher's first names. I didn't know whether they were married or not. I didn't know what they did out of school. They were there to do the job. So, Nurse Jackie, oh yeah, that's um, not a great drama with the wife and the Sopranos, right? But she knows that she's addicted and she hides it and it's a guilty secret, right? And it's funny because now we're in a place where, yeah, my kindergarten teacher, my kindergarten's teacher was Miss Sharon, never knew her last name. Yeah, for sure. Well, it's funny how, you know, we're supposed to rewrite our entire language and paralyze the free and easy communications of billions of people around the world to take into account what is a tiny minority of people with disparate viewpoints or disparate experiences. And, you know, I guess the, the question is, okay, but on what principle are we doing that? On what principle are we doing that? Because we have to accommodate people in society and what they want? Not sure about that one. Not sure about that one, Chief. The vast majority of people, well, a significant majority of people in the West have wanted reduced immigration for the last couple of decades. Can't seem to provide that. But 0.1% of the population has a problem and everyone has to change. Like, I just, in, in what, on what principle do we do that? I identify as a non-racist and non-white supremacist, in fact, an anti-racial supremacist, but nobody's going to grant me that, but i got to grant everyone else their language. Pretty wild. Well, you know, when your school counselor has tattoos and blue hair, you know, there are a lot of people. Do me, do me a favor, right? So you got, you got a bunch of people in here. Great to be spending the evening with you. Thank you for joining. When it, and I'm not just talking looks here, right? I'm not talking looks here. Just general attractiveness. Attractiveness to the opposite sex or whoever you want to attract, right? So your general attractiveness from a one to ten, what would you say is your level of attractiveness? I'll just give you a sec to catch up on that. 
again, I'm not talking like abs or looks or whatever it is, but general attractiveness to people uh, as a whole. What would you rate yourself as? One to ten. We had a six to seven. We got a five, seven, six point six, three, eight, solid eleven, eleven, seven. 0.5, 7, 6. Okay, so if you could tell me, for those of you who are below sort of 8, 9, or 10, ah, you see, you said it used to be an 8 when I was young, but I'm not talking about looks. 7, 8 before I lost my hair. Losing hair does not necessarily reduce you in attractiveness at all. A lot of women like the chrome dome. Okay, so what is your, what's your gap analysis here? What, what is missing that keeps you from being a 10? What is it that's missing that keeps you from being a 10? No, I said not looks. Do you mean face or overall package? Ecoute, mes amis, ecoute. No, I said overall general levels of attractiveness, not just the looks. You're missing fame, a social life, attitude, more dollars, Asperger's social skills, I'm too shy. You, if you had more money, you'd be more attractive, okay? Confidence, bravado. I get easily annoyed and angry. Yeah, well, for sure, that's tough to live with. Wait, got a lot of looks right out of the army. Oh, so when you were in the army, you were lighter, uh, and then you got out of the army, and like a lot of army guys, or a lot of high school athletes, you kept eating without the exercise, right? Confidence, wealth, and wisdom. Autism, I'm a two. Maybe not to other autists, though. Having other women in your life makes you more attractive to women. I think lack of charisma is a huge factor, too. My husband says I'm a 20. <laughs> That's nice. That's nice. No social circle? Why do people with less intelligence skills, looks, and athleticism than me have more confidence? Um, Dunning-Kruger effect, you'll look it up. I've heard $250,000 raises the attractiveness of a short guy. Okay, so let me ask you this. So I'm, I'm going to give you a, um, a real tip here. It's going to change your life. That's why we're hanging out on a Friday night and change your life, my friends. Change your life, my brothers and sisters. All right, so what are you doing... Just a tiny fact, the Will Smith, Chris Rock thing, that was all staged, not necessarily for anyone's sanity, though, just for money. No, I don't, I don't think it was staged. I don't think it was staged. No, they were, I mean, they were genuinely surprised. They let, you know, F-bombs go across the airwaves, which could have cost them significant things. No, they were, it was not, it was not staged. People are like, oh, Pfizer's coming out with a drug for alopecia. No, it was not staged. It was not staged. Uh, so somebody says, what I'm lacking is a desire to relate to people. I'm horrified by how uncaring about existential pe issues most people are. Will Smith's wife is toxic? Well, it's funny, you know, because she's played a real superhero, hasn't she? Didn't she play like a, wasn't she in some Matrix movie where she was like some gunner and some warrior queen? You know, and after all, what is it? 40 fucking years of these, you know, tough as nails, Ripley on a spaceship, you know, bitches of warrior-ness and all that, right? What happens when a man insults, uh, insults her? I mean, it was a very tame and positive insult. I mean, come on. 
you're just like that really beautiful woman in that movie. Um, what does she do? You know, because she played a real tough, uh, tough, many times she's played these real tough warrior chicks, right? What did she, did she go up and hit Will Smith? Because she's a tough, strong, modern, empowered woman? Nope. Not even a tiny little bit. What did she do, my friends? What did she do? She just did the same damn thing that women have done since the dawn of time, which she said to a man, she shot her man that look that says, you go hit that guy or I'm going to make the next two weeks of your life a living hell. After all of that. After all of that empowerment, she gets her big husband to hit the little guy. <laughs> all right, so people say Will Smith was defending his wife's honor. That is BS. If Chris Rock called his wife a whore, I could see that. I'm sorry, what honor does his wife have? Didn't, 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 Chris, didn't Will Smith's wife have an affair with one of her son's friends? The rapper August or something like that. Didn't, didn't Chris Rock's, Rock's wife, sorry, didn't Will Smith's wife bang one of her son's friends and get into an affair with him? I don't, I don't think there is an excess of honor in that kind of situation. Yeah, he did, she did, right? And, and she's had multiple affairs over the course of her quote, marriage, what, what on earth honor, and you know, it's a real shame too, because a lot of, you know, a lot of people, particularly black youth, they're going to look, at, they look up to Will Smith, right, the damage that he did in the black community in particular, but as a whole, the damage he did in the black community is completely appalling, right, because they're going to be like, oh, just, you know, just go hit, hit guys who, who trash talk, right, so, Oh, yeah, Will Smith, uh, what, a, what, a, what a tragic life. Uh, it's a horrible life. Will Smith is one of the good ones also? No, he's not. He's a cautionary tale. He's a cautionary tale about how easy it is to, I mean, okay, hit me with, we'll get back to the other topic. Okay, hit me with a why if you or someone you know is frightened of their girlfriend or wife. Hit me with a why if you or someone you know is frightened of his girlfriend or wife. Why? 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 Me? Why? 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 No, good. It's good. Does my stepfather count? Is he someone you know? You know these categories. No. Yes. So there are a lot of men that I knew when I was younger who were frankly scared shitless of their wives or girlfriends. Now, they would make jokes about it, like, oh, I've got to run it past the wife, I've got to check with the ball and chain. They were scared. They were scared. They were scared of their wives, or their girlfriends. What patriarchy do people imagine? They are scared. Because if you're with an unstable woman, I'm sure this is true if you're a woman with an unstable man, but we're just talking male to female at the moment. If you're with a woman who is angry, controlling, and unstable, 
then she will just emotionally terrorize you until you do what she wants. And you combine into that, you know, palimony and alimony and child support and family courts. And now the whole thing is, you know, you hear these reports, and I'm sure it's rare, but it happens, right? That if some girl wants to go out with a guy and he won't go out with her, she can just trash his reputation in, in ways that I won't even describe here. If I was scared about my girl, I would leave. No happy wife, happy life, BS for me. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. How do you think that kind of woman was raised, Steph? Million dollar question. Well, she was raised by a uh, husband who was frightened of his wife. And she saw her mother get her way with relentless verbal abuse and emotional bullying. You know... I'm not, I'm not good at holding grudges. Like, I, I should be maybe better at holding grudges. I'm really not, <laughs> I'm not very good at holding grudges. I want to enjoy my life. It's short. It's exciting. Try and get as much fun out of it as you can, right? So I'm really not very good at holding grudges. Now, my wife is wonderful, and, and I'm not frightened of her. She's like an absolute light of my life. But I'll tell you, man. If you ever want to, if you had a grudge or, or a problem with someone or someone betrayed you or someone did something bad and your wife was around and it was like 20 years ago and you can't remember, oh yeah, whatever happened to that guy? I guarantee you, man, your wife is like, boom, I can tell you exactly what happened. First this, then this, then that, then the other, then this, then this, then this, then this, then this with this person over there and then this and then boom, that's what happened. I mean, they, the women track this stuff like it's incredible. They're like... Apaches in the wilderness tracking a boar. So women remember this. They've got this social calculus of rights and wrongs and justice and injustice and betrayal and, and virtue and support and all of that. It's just, man, it's incredible. It's a force of nature. I can't remember this stuff to save my life. <laughs> Maybe even literally sometimes. I can't remember. You've so many grudges, you forgot them all? Yeah. It's funny, right? So for the ladies here, right, you've got a lot of women here in the audience and appreciate you guys dropping by, of course. You remember this stuff, right? Women remember this stuff. Like my wife is great on the streets. I'm great in the woods when it comes to finding stuff. It's a good division of labor, right? But you remember this stuff, right? And men, men generally don't because, you know, we, we have big fights with guys and then we just kind of move on, right? Yeah, like, so this is, that's probably why my husband doesn't forget anniversaries. See, here's the thing too, right? If you, as a woman, punish a man for forgetting an anniversary, in other words, he forgets the anniversary, this gives you power, you can punish him. That's not good, right? Because you can, you can get something out of him, but you won't be satisfied, you won't be happy with it. You need to understand why he forgets and, you know, figure out his, his thing, right? Men, we're doing so much generally, it's just a blur of now. We just live in this blur of now, and the, the, the past, the future is all kind of abstract. We don't look left, we don't look right. We're like those horses with those blinkers, we're just getting things done. Monofocus, getting things done. Yeah, fight apologies and beer. Yeah, for sure. I've literally forgotten that I've had fights with people. Not physical fights, but, you know, like real significant disagreements. Literally forgotten about it. But my wife doesn't forget, never forgets. And that's great, right? And that's great. My wife will bring up something I did 20 years ago. 
Women remember that stuff, and there's nothing wrong with that. Maybe combined with uh, social media companies, not ideal, right? Is being a cuckold bad? Yeah, of course it is. If you love your wife, you don't want to share her with some other guy sexually because he could get her pregnant, which is going to screw up your marriage. He could injure her. He could turn into a stalker. He could badmouth her. He could publish videos of their sexual activities. You could give her some godforsaken crotch rot disease that then comes to you. She then has split loyalties between you, the father of her children, and one of her son's friends in this case. No, it's a terrible thing to do. Monogamy is civilization. Monogamy is civilization. Steph, how do you deal with people who call you insecure about your relationship? I don't deal with them. I don't deal with them. Why on earth would I deal with people who project onto me because they're only having a relationship with their own insecurity? It's nothing to do with me. You understand? It's nothing to do with me at all. No, no, I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't have anything to do with that. Having countless half-siblings doesn't sound fantastic if you ask me. Yeah, of course. Of course. And especially if you have kids and your wife is, is hanging out with some other guy and banging some other guy. Is he going to be around your kids? What's he going to tell you? You can explain it to your kids. Oh, no, it's vile. It's gross. It's hideous. It's horrible. Do you think women remember events more because historically they've relied on men's status for mating? I don't know why women remember betrayals more. I, well, I'm sorry. I mean, my guess would be that women, of course, need to remember betrayals because women are resource black holes. When they, they have, they're pregnant, they have babies, they need resources, resources, resources for them, for their breastfeeding, for their kids. And so anybody who messes up their access to resources or threatens their access to resources they need to remember that stuff for sure. They need to remember that stuff so that they can make sure that they continue to get their resources. I'm having more problems with my teenage daughter than I have with my husband. Uh, do you think that... Um, sorry, I'm just going to tilt this up just a smidge here. Uh, do you think that... Uh, I mean, did your, did your teenage daughter go to government school or something like that? I don't know. I can't imagine how much it must suck to negotiate for my child every weekend. Oh, yeah. You know, the guy who was kind of responsible for introducing me to my wife, not directly, but he convinced me to join the volleyball team where I met my wife. He was going through a divorce when I was working with him. And my first professional gig, there were like seven programmers in one relatively small room. And, oh, man, he'd just be on the phone, red-faced with his lawyer, and it was just brutal. And he was just like, oh, God, never get divorced, never get divorced, never get divorced. Yes, I'm not getting into politics. <laughs> you homeschool? What's go Jesse, what is going on with your, with your daughter? What is going on with your daughter? What are your thoughts on parental effectiveness training? Pretty good, actually. I did an interview with a practitioner of, uh, practitioner of PET some years ago. You can find it at fdrpodcast.com. Just do a search for parental effectiveness training. You got our hopes up? Are you kidding me? Can you imagine if I ran for politics? Everything would be hacked and leaked and spread and you guys would be in target to do it. Oh, that's no good. No good. 
Oh, Dunning-Kruger? Yeah, just look it up. It's, it's that uh, if you don't have skill in something, you can't judge how good something is. Right? So if, if I'm not a surgeon, don't know what surgeons do really. And so if I'm up in the observational gallery with my junior mints and, and I'm watching a surgeon cut someone open and do their thing, I have no idea if that surgeon is doing a good or a bad job. No idea. But if you're an expert surgeon and you're watching that, you know for sure whether that person is doing a good or a bad job. So you have to be good at things to be able to judge those things that other people are doing. Yeah, so. Have you ever thought about moving out of Canada? <laughs> Gino, never have thought of that. <laughs> the more you learn about a topic, the less you feel like you know. Well, there is that bell curve and then you get good afterwards, right? So... Wait, we were, oh yeah, I'm, I'm going to tell you how to change your life here. I'm going to tell you how to change your life here. You guys ready? You guys ready to break open the giant ostrich egg of love, whether you're in a relationship or not? Oh, sorry, she says she's pretty good, she has a job, but she just spends her money stupidly, doesn't save, and she doesn't want to do things with me. Why do you think that she spends her money stupidly? What is she spending her money on that you consider to be uh, stupid? And of course, if you're judging her as spending her money stupidly, if you have that negative judgment of your kid, of course they're not going to want to... I mean, how much do you want to spend time with people who have a negative judgment of what you're doing, right? If other people have a negative judgment of you and your personality and your choices and so on, well, you probably don't want to spend any time with them either, right? If that makes sense. Oh, I keep thinking this woman's answering, but it's, <laughs> it's everybody else. It's nice to be back. It's nice to be back. Snacks and Roblox cards? So she buys snacks and Roblox cards? Roblox cards are what they allow you to build things in Roblox. And when you were her age, did you spend sensibly and save sensibly as well? My brother was divorced and banging married women when I cut him out of my life. Am I overreacting? Well, I mean, you're not overreacting unless you don't want to get gunned down by some angry husband when you're hanging out with your brother. All right, you may be too slow a typist. Have you thought about going vegan after adopting ducks? Well, I think like most people who eat meat from time to time, I have that selective avoidance of reality. I mean, you just can't think of them chainsawing a piece of meat out of a cow, right? You just can't think of that spray in the hoof and all of that, right? I had a boyfriend in Canada and I made long-distance calls, so no, not at all. <laughs> right, right. This is back in the day. Did you have to wait? What was it? You get two-thirds off after 11 p.m., right? So no, you just have to look at yourself... And here's the thing, you need to find out, I'm sorry to sound kind of bossy, I apologize for that, but it's the big question. If something's important to someone else and you love that person, you have to find out why it's important to them. I would not have driven out today to get two ducklings, but my daughter loves ducks, loves ducks. So I need to find out what she loves about ducks, and I need to enter into that world and figure out what works for her that way. 
So you need to figure out why your daughter loves Roblox. You need to figure out with, you need to figure out what she's getting out of Roblox, why she likes the snacks, what they do for her, enter into her world and figure out what's important to her. That's called, if you're just like, oh, the stuff you're spending money on is stupid. You know, like I could say to my, my daughter, these ducks are stupid. You know, they don't do anything for us. They're, they can be expensive. You know, they can wake us up. They poop everywhere. This is dumb. What, what has that done? Do you homeschool your daughter? Well, so ducks are beautiful creatures. Okay, but not for everyone, right? I wouldn't get ducks if I wasn't a parent. So you got to enter into your daughter's world and figure out what's important to her and why. Because if you just stand back and judge what she values as dumb, what does that do? Well, first of all, it takes out the, the fact that everybody who's young spends money on things that don't matter as much to adults, right? Because they're young, right? <laughs> of course they do. Of course they do. So, no, apologize for anything that, Steph, you should go hunting sometime. It reconnects you with your ancestral roots. Uh, I have been hunting. I have been hunting a number of times before. This is my first DLive live stream. I know you've been back for a few days now, but I'm glad you're well, Steph. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Yeah, everybody buys dumb stuff in their teenage years, spends money on things that you, you don't need to spend on. So, okay, are you guys ready for the big, the big insight? Okay. So when I say to you, what is your level of general attractiveness? Not just looks, level of general attractiveness. One to ten? You think that there's a way of quantifying your level of attractiveness in some objective way. That is an incorrect answer. Please try again. There is no number that you can attach to yourself that quantifies how attractive you are. Now, that's why I said not just looks. So there are some objective standards with looks, but there's also a lot of subjectivity when it comes to looks. Some people are chubby chasers. Some people like slender women, right? So if you think that there's a number that you can attach to yourself, which is an objective evaluation of your level of attractiveness, you're absolutely, completely, and totally wrong and should never, ever think like that again. <laughs> okay, here's the fact. You ready? You ready for the fact? Some women like Adam Driver. For someone out there, you're a 10. For someone out there, you're a 10. Now, this doesn't mean you can't improve and you can't deal with your short-temperedness or whatever it is, right? But for someone out there, your short-temperedness will be helped by being in a relationship. Just talking to the guy who said he's kind of irritable and short-tempered. Okay, so you're going to find someone. The reason why you're irritable and short-tempered is because it works with the people around you. But you're going to find someone 
who just laughs at your short temper and irritability and shakes you out of that habit because it ain't going to work with her. Because it ain't going to work with her, you're going to drop it because we do what works. We think we have all these personalities and we just do what works. <laughs> Everything that I've done has been stuff that works. May not work in the short run. Deplatforming will work in the long run. Essential truths, right? So you think that you have a level of attractiveness that is somehow objective out there in the world. There are some people who would absolutely love to be my wife, and there are some people you couldn't pay them enough to be my wife. What is my general, overall, objective, universal level of attractiveness? Can't be quantified at all. Not even close. Not even close. And I will tell you my secret. Are you ready for my secret? I always thought, I mean, from the time that I started dating in my mid to late teens, I always thought I was a total 10. Now, that didn't mean that I was going to be some giant supermodel or whatever it was, right? But what I thought was, I'm a total 10. I can't wait to meet someone who agrees with me. I'm a total 10. I can't wait to meet the person who agrees with me. Now, a lot of people will disagree with me and say, Steph, you're not a 10, whatever. I get that. Okay, so you go keep moving until you find someone who is a 10. I'm not a 10 for you. That's fine. Different strokes for different folks. I'm not a 10 for you. But you got to wake up in the morning. You say, I'm a 10 for someone. And whoever gets my value is going to be very lucky. And someone is a 10 for me who won't be a 10 for someone else. You see, 10 is about compatibility, not about some abstract, platonic, stick-on label of a number. You're a 10 for someone, and someone's a 10 for you. Like that old Grace Jones song, I'm not perfect, but I'm perfect for you. I dated a lot of women. I wasn't a 10 for them. I was enough to date. Some wanted to settle down. Maybe I was a 10 for some, but they weren't a 10 for me. So you just, you keep moving until a little 10 on 10 action. <laughs> Do you see what I'm saying? A little 10 on 10 action. Because if you sit there and you say, well, I'm a seven because I'm too shy. I'm a six because I'm too shy. Okay, well, there'll be either someone who's as shy as you are, in which case you'll be fine, or somebody who values your shyness, maybe can bring you out a little bit. Maybe you tamp down some of their extroversion and it works beautifully. Steph, but you need some good looks to at least get your foot in the door, no? No. No. You only need good looks for a woman who values looks. You've seen the people that, that Jennifer Lopez dates? Even she herself has said, look at the guy I date. Look at the guys I date. I'm not into looks. Come on. Women are into resources, which certainly helps, right? So assuming that I'm a 10 for someone, does that mean I have to search for that person? What if they're not a 10 for me? You see, if they're not a 10 for you, if you're not a 10 for them, they can't be a 10 for you. Right? So let's say they're perfect for you. Part of that perfection is they appreciate your value. That you share the same values, you share the same morals, you share the same 
world outlook. You share the same general levels of motivation and athleticism. And, and so part of the 10 is they value you. Does that make sense? I don't have much experience with women, period. I'd like to find someone like me or more extrovert, extroverted. Yeah, again, totally fine. Look at Scott Adams' looks. Do you think age difference caused the divorce? Well, I don't think age difference caused the divorce. I don't know, obviously, but I know that Christina Basham said that the age difference became too big. I thought my wife was a five when we met. Now that we're happily married, she's a 10. Yeah, personality is so beyond a point. Of course, yeah, personality is the thing. You're going to spend a whole lot of time in your life and in your marriage, not, not between the sheets, right? What if I am a five and just settle for a five because I know I can't get a 10? Well, then you'll be unhappy and you'll be resentful and your relationship won't work. See, you have to find that person and see them for the treasure that they see themselves for. I always thought I was a great catch. Always thought I was a great catch. Bit of a better catch after therapy, but I always thought I was a great catch. Now, some women agreed with me. Some women didn't agree with me. My wife always thought she was a great catch. And once we both agreed with each other, hey, you're a great catch. Hey, you're a great catch. Perfect. Do you think older women like 30-year-olds get mad at younger women dating men in their late 20s? Well, um, we'll, get, we'll get to that. Right? Yeah, there's no such thing as A10, there's your 10. Because if somebody thinks they're a general, universal, perfect 10 for everyone, then the vanity knocks them down to a five. <laughs> you understand the megalomania, the narcissism, the vanity knocks them way down. So you're, you're a 10. And your, your purpose in life is to find someone that agrees with you and that you agree with. Right? It's like saying, what is the perfect car? What car is a 10? Well, you can't answer that, right? <clears throat> if you have a necklace with your name in it, you're a zero. And what is it they say about the hoop earrings? What do women use them for? Place to hook their stilettos after the bar closes? Some things like height muscles and good jawlines do help though I feel, even if you only want the most wholesome relationship. Okay, but help what? Help what? They help you find a woman who's looking to value things beyond a man's control. You're, you're, you're looking to find things that a woman values that is a mere accident of birth. You don't want to marry that woman. I'm not saying don't have any physical standards, but you can't blame, like my wife is like 5'2 in the morning, right? She's short. Am I going to sit there and say, well, she's, you know, because I'm close to six foot, right? So I'm going to sit there and say, well, I don't want a short woman. That's, she's Greek, right? That's <laughs> Black holes come from the Shinkan Greek widows, right? 
So am I going to sit there and say, well, you know, uh, it's a little short for me, right? That's not, that's not within her control. Now, her moral choices, those are within her control for sure. Her virtues, her honesty, her integrity, those are under her control. Her weight, yeah, it's under her control. And yeah, for sure, there are some women who are like, ah, you know, I don't like bald guys. They never said that to me, but whatever, right? Okay. I'm not going to get hair transplants because I'm not a ridiculous human being. I'm not going to scar myself with spread protein on my scalp like I have an illness called bald, right? So there are some women who I'm sure wouldn't go out with me because I was bald. Okay, thank Jesus above. Because if you're going to reject a man for something utterly beyond his control, I don't want, like, you're not a 10 for me, right? You're not a 10 for me. Because if you're going to blame a man for something beyond his control as a wife or as a girlfriend, you marry the guy, how are you going to react when he gets sick beyond his control? I'm a foot taller than my wife. Does not matter. No, it doesn't matter. My husband's five foot four and I'm five foot nine. You should have a chat with a guy who's into the whole looks and black pill stuff. Would be interesting. I don't know what that means, really. But you're a ten. See, here's the thing, too, if, if you go, because the 10 has to stay or grow over the course of your life, right? It has to at least maintain as a 10, right? So let's say that you get together with a woman because she's young and beautiful physically. Well, she's going to age out of that, right? You know, a couple of kids, she's going to get a little lumpy. I mean, have you seen Kelly McGillis lately? Have you seen Bridget Fonda lately? Right? So if, if you're focused on the looks... They're going to age out of their looks. I think I look great for 55, but I don't look as great as when I was 25, right? So there is no, the 10 that lasts has to be character. Because character, moral virtues, quality of, of honesty and integrity, those only grow if you're committed to them over life. Would I have the love of my family if I had lied to the world about what was important? Okay, it cost me some platforms, but compared to the love of the people in my life, that helps. You, yeah, you said the thinking behind wanting to marry is, yeah, I can't upgrade from here. Yeah, that's a 10, right? That's a 10. That's a 10. Because if, if someone values you for something outside of your control, there's a vulnerability there, right? Like, like breast size for a woman outside of their control. I mean, assuming they don't get fat, right? What do you think of a young man hoping to find a suitable wife for a monogamous relationship long-term at YSA, Young Single Adult Church? Oh, church, I think, is a great place to go and find, uh, to, to go and look for women, for sure. All right, um, what have we got here? Yeah, I got time for another topic. 
Um, do you guys have any other comments or questions? I'm happy to uh, talk about those. Do you have me another topic? But I could wait for that if, uh, if you want. Black pillars complain about the women that only value looks while they themselves seem to only value the women that only care about looks. Uh, you know, I mean, look, looks are not unimportant in terms of how you present yourself and so on. You know, take care of your teeth. Brush them. Don't end up looking like Beto O'Rourke. It's like a beaver addicted to sugar. Reasonably, be reasonably fit. It's okay to dress up a little once in a while. Get a nice haircut. Take care of your skin. <laughs> you know, there's the, get a little sun maybe. There's things that you can do to be attractive. But the most important thing you can do to be attractive is you're a 10. Look in the mirror every day. Say, I'm a 10. I'm a 10. For everyone? No. <laughs> it's like, it's like hold it. oh, honey, can you get me an extension cord? I need to plug something in at a distance. And then she brings you the extension cord and you say, wait a minute, this doesn't work in Yemen. It's like, but it works here. Isn't it? It, it, we're not inhuman. That's being a 10. It works for her. She works for you. Based on virtue, shared values, honesty, integrity, courage. She's got to wake up and say, yeah, I'm a 10. I can't wait for someone to figure that out. I can't wait to figure that out from someone else, right? People often throw away the greatest value in their life. You can just swoop in and grab it. Let's see here. Thank you for everything you do, Steph. We've decided to start having kids as soon as possible. Well, mwah, fantastic. Fantastic. I really, really appreciate that. That's wonderful to hear. Congratulations. All right. Do you think that TikTok has made the looks problem worse for the average male? No, there is no looks problem. There is no looks problem. Yes, there are physically beautiful women out there. There are physically beautiful women out there. Absolutely. And they will divorce you and take your stuff and never let you see your children. Odds are. For women, see, the women's looks things is supposed to last about four years, right? The women's looks thing, right? 18 to 22. 18, you get married, you have your kids, right? So the, the, the beauty thing, the, the abs for women, like the, the lean figure, that's only supposed to last a couple of years. That's it. Now, this stretching it out, into your 30s, your 40s, your 50s, Botox and makeup and like liposuction is like, no, no, it's only supposed to laugh. What are you doing? <laughs> Talk about perpetual adolescence. Women complain that men all with a perpetual adolescence just won't play video games. Trying to milk your looks past your early 20s is retarded because you're supposed to have used them to get a quality guy, settle down, have some kids by the time you're in your mid-20s at the latest. Right, mid to late 20s, in many cultures, you're called the leftover. 
So, yes, of course, men are attracted to physical beauty. I get that. Women are attracted to male physical beauty. I get that, for sure. But there's no problem. If a woman won't date you because of your looks, bullet successfully dodged. Because you'll never feel loved. If someone loves you just for your looks, you will never feel loved. Because she's not loving you for your virtues. She's not loving you for something you chose. She's not loving you for something you're responsible for. You like that Giga Chad guy? Okay, yeah, he works out. But one of the reasons he works out is he's chiseled George Giga Chad, right? <laughs> so he presents himself as a cartoon. Actually, what was it? Some woman asked him to come on her podcast. He's like, what the hell's a podcast? <laughs> Some Eastern European model of Giga Chad, right? So he presents himself as such a cartoony G.I. Joe. Is he going to be loved for who he is? Is he going to be loved for that which outlasts the muscles? Is he going to be loved for who he is? That's what we need. Got to be loved for who you are. Not just what you look like. Now, part of who you are is being presentable and clean, appealing. But if you pursue a woman solely for looks and she says no to you, she's just saved your ass. She has just saved your ass. I'm not kidding about this. Because she's going to, she's, a, she's a, a drug addict to male attention. She's a drug addict for male attention. Women get dopamine for male attention. They love it. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's why we're all here. I'm glad that that's the way it is. But they're supposed to actually choose. In the late teens, early 20s at the latest, they're supposed to choose their man and then put the looks aside. Successfully achieved, orbit achieved. You're supposed to throw away the rocket when you break into the upper atmosphere because it's empty. Right? A woman's beauty is a short-term propulsion mechanism to get her the highest quality man she can. And then it's supposed to be poured into the next generation. Kids. Right? And people like Madonna, like these frozen-faced weirdos who are just trying to milk their 20s into their 60s. I mean, that's, that's really sad. And she is alone, isn't she? She divorced Guy Ritchie or whatever it is, and it's sad. Just can't feed because she got the dopamine of massive male attention. It's a they're a drug addict, and because they're a drug addict, like if a woman was addicted to cocaine, would you marry her? No, of course not. And a woman who is you know putting the selfies out and 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 getting all the male attention and the likes and the oh you're so hot and the thirst and all of that. She is an addict. She's a drug addict to the dopamine of male attention. She's an addict. I'm not kidding about this. Straight up addict. Would you marry a drug addict? No, of course you wouldn't marry a drug addict. It will wreck your fucking life. Don't marry drug addicts. And you don't marry women who are addicted to male attention based on their looks. I mean, you don't marry women who are addicted to male attention at all. Because they're using natural, God-given hormones to feed their own ego rather than create the next generation. God, no. 
Take Madonna, give us Norm back. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Look at Joan Rivers. All of her cosmetic improvements, did it win any man over? Yeah. Yeah. You thought he was photoshopped? Yeah, a lot of people thought that too, the Giga Chad, right? Yeah, Madonna was beautiful in the 80s, but... Oh, yeah, Madonna was, I mean, just total trash. They say if you were a dratic, you still are a dratic, even if you're better now. Well, you know, uh, if the woman has gone through a lot of therapy and trying to figure out, I mean, it's bad relationship with her dad and all that kind of stuff, right? So, I mean, you can solve that kind of stuff. I, I don't know if you're forever a drug addict. You say, oh, I've got an addictive personality. I think that you really do want to focus on the virtues that you can achieve in your life, getting over addiction and all of that, and not using people for your own self-aggrandizement. See, you understand, there is, a, there is a coldness, right? A significant coldness to women who put their you know, pictures out to get the thirst from men. I'm sure it's true for men as well. But there's a coldness because basically you're saying, here's something you can't have. Let me rate, like, in order to feed my addiction, right? Addictions destroy everyone around them, right? Addicts destroy everyone around them, except the dealer, maybe. Even the dealer gets destroyed emotionally or, or morally or spiritually, right? So it's like, here, I'm super beautiful, I'm super slender, and so I'm going to raise your standards, make you dissatisfied with all other women. I'm going to have you kind of bond with me because your, your lizard brain doesn't know that I'm in Thailand, thinks that I'm right in front of you and smiling at you and thanking you for your gifts, right? Because if a woman takes a gift from you, that's a mark of romantic interest, right, if, if she's single. So when you send her, you know, 20 bucks on, on whatever, right? I mean, and she's like, oh, thank you. That's wonderful. I really, really, your lizard brain is like, man, we're in. She's taking gifts. Boom, good, right? So she gets her dopamine. She gets her hit. She gets her addiction, and it wrecks your life to the point where you've got people buying Bell Dauphin's bathwater, or there was some woman who, well, she ended up in hospital because she was farting in jars and selling her farts. Well, that's a long way from <laughs> Wuthering Heights. A long way from Jane Austen, my friends. <laughs> so there's a coldness in all of that. Like there's a coldness in, what's it, Nicole Kidman doesn't, she won't let the sun fall on her face because it'll age her, right? So everyone's like, oh, she looks so young. She looks so great. It's like, well, she has a whole team, right? She's a whole team working on her. Doesn't see the sun. But it makes other women feel bad, right? Obviously, it makes other women feel bad. So there's a, a coldness and a cruelty. It, it hurts other people to be that narcissistic and have people just praise you and worship you for your looks, right? Kim Kardashian is pretty and can't keep a marriage. Yeah, right. Of course. The Simpson orbiters make the problem much bigger. But they're addicted too. They're addicted to 
masturbatory fantasies without the risk of rejection. Right? So there's an addiction as well. Christy Brinkley has been married four times. Yeah. yeah. I'd buy Steph's fart jars. I'm afraid that will not be happening, at least yet. See how the donations go. How do I get past being raised by a narcissistic father? Rational thinking has helped a lot, but there's still that voice in my head. Oh, anger. Yeah, anger. Anger is the body's defense mechanism against the virus of dysfunctional intrusion, other people's personalities, right? Because you got infected. You got infected by a narcissistic father. You got infected, that voice in your head. You got to get angry like you want if you've got a cancer forming in your body you want your immune system to fuck that shit up right you want your immune system to beat the shit out of that stuff and to be thoroughly angry at the cancer and kill it right and so you gotta get angry at that voice in your head the external right the, the voice in your head was there to help you protect you from your your father but yeah get angry at your father and with the anger at your father comes the self-protection that allows the inner voice to relax Some men even get limb-lengthening surgeries to make them taller. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, for sure. Well, and it is cheating, right? It's cheating. In, in the same way that makeup is cheating. Like there was some Indian, I think it was an Indian guy, divorced his wife because he finally saw her without makeup and he was like, oh my God. Woof. So... If a man artificially raises his height, then what he's doing is he's saying to the woman, your children will be tall, but his genes are short, short genes, right? So it's, it's, a, it's a form of fraud. Like in, in the same way, like if I got hair transplants, right, then my hair would continue to grow until I was dead, and I would be saying to a woman, your kids won't go bald. I know it comes from the mother, but you, you know, you understand this as a general principle, right? So it's a kind of fraud. I am who I am. You get what you get. I, I, this is how tall I am. This is what I weigh. This is my hair. This is my face. This is my eye color. It's what, right? So no, you don't, don't, don't defraud people. Because if you defraud people, you're saying, well, people, a woman isn't going to like me unless I'm taller. That's really sad, right? Contacts are a big genetic fraud. <laughs> well, it's not a genetic fraud if the woman says, I wear contacts. I think the practice of implanting implants in your chest is an awful practice. Oh, and they are so unappealing. Uh, the, the chest zeppelins, right? The, the fake boobs. Oh, no, hideous. Do you agree with the saying that staying bald is just an option for rich people? I wasn't rich when I met my wife. Stefan with a massive toupee would look so bad. Well, this is my look, right? I mean, if there was some pill you could take to grow hair, I wouldn't take it. My, mom, my, my, my wife wouldn't let me. My father was bald at 18. I feel bad for him. Why? Why? You understand that bald evolved because women choose bald. Right? Bald didn't ever evolve for women because men wouldn't choose bald women. But bald evolved for men because women choose bald men. So. Steph, what you're describing reminds me of the works of Brett Easton Ellis who isn't shy from shallowness and beauty-obsessed indifference. I don't quite understand that sentence, but Brett Easton Ellis, isn't he the guy who wrote American Psycho? Did I have that right? Because I did a 
book review on that or a movie review on that that was fantastic. Bruce Willis looked so cool bald. Sorry to hear about his problems. Yeah. Our guy's a real workaholic, right? And was he 67? And he's got aphasia, uh, problems processing language. Could come from strokes. He's on a movie set. I assume vaccinated. Who knows? Mr. Clean is really popular with the ladies. See, here's the thing, too. Like, you can be, being bald, I said this before, right? being bald is like being small boobed. So if a woman, you can be small boobed if you're fit. But you can't be small boobed and fat. So for a guy, you can be bald, but you can't be bald and fat. So it's actually a kind of focus to work on your exercise as well. Yeah, I never quite warmed to Bruce Willis as, as an actor. Um, gosh, what was that second movie he was in after The Sixth Sense? from M. Night Shyamalan, where he played the guy who kind of became a superhero or something like that. What was the name of that movie? That was, um, that was bad, man. After that, I just couldn't, I couldn't do a Bruce Willis movie. It was such a bad movie. I very rarely get actually angry at movies, but that one was just unbreakable. Was it unbreakable? Samuel L. Jackson was some guy who ran a comic book oh my god it was terrible oh my god that was just that was one of the worst movies i think i've ever seen in my life you know like i hate that cliche well there's two hours i'll never get back yeah bruce willis always plays bruce willis yeah he's not he's not an actor really any more than schwarzenegger is an actor so so let's see here oh yeah and the other actor died Oh, gosh, what was he in? Kiss of the Spider Woman and that Doctor movie. Uh, William Hurt? Yeah, William Hurt? William Hurt? He died. I was, when I was younger, I was used to, people always used to tell me I looked like William Hurt. Anyway. Also, and now there's a guy who was, according to reports, he dated some, the, the Molly Matlin or whatever her name was, the woman who was on the West Wing who was deaf, and she claimed that he was severely abusive. And he's a guy, like... When I was, I would see him when he was younger, William Hurt, and be like, wow, William Hurt's a fantastic actor. And then he just went through the motions. Like you just, oh, William Hurt's going to be in it. I hope he's going to be good. And you just, blah, 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 just kind of going through the motions. And uh, that's terrible. Yeah. I mean, divorce, bad relationships break a lot of people, break their creativity, break their talent, or you name it, right? I don't like women with red lipstick, not a fan. Yeah, I mean, red lipstick is highly manipulative because it indicates sexual desire where none is present, right? Red was the worst ones he did. I mean, the man's been just about in everything, man. For 50 bucks, he'll come and wax your car. That guy is like total workaholic. Although he was pretty funny in Ocean's 12, playing himself. I thought that was kind of an interesting thing. But, you know, in, the, in that uh, being John Malkovich kind of way. Uh, I'm not going to talk about who I stay in touch with or not stay in touch with. Just, I mean, in general, not, not people now. Uh, never found makeup attractive. Maybe I'm crazy. My wife doesn't wear makeup. It's amazing. Well, you get to see your wife or who she is, right? I mean, it's funny because I don't put on any makeup to get in front of a camera. And, and I know that people who wear makeup in front of the camera look better. But I won't do it. No, thank you. Oh, no, we are purity spiraling on makeup now. Oh, that is, um, that is a very defensive statement, my friend. <laughs> that is a very triggered and defensive statement. Purity spiraling. It's like, no, people are just talking about whether they like or don't like makeup. What is purity spiraling? That's, that's, a, very, um, that's a very witch hunty kind of statement. <laughs> it's a very, uh, 
um, Spanish Inquisition kind of statement. What do you think about the disgruntled guys who go overseas to Asia to find a woman? Okay, so I'll, I'll just give a little, little thing here, and we'll, we'll close up for the night. So this is, uh, this is my topic, right? And I'll do this with the actual, I'll do this with the actual um, articles at some point. But, you know, there are a lot, of, a lot of men are mad at women. A lot of men are mad at women for running to the government. A lot of men, men are mad at women for voting for the left. A lot of women uh, get, get dumped on by, by men for the socialist, the nanny state, and for not being available and, and for dating, and then finally wanting to settle down when she's broken by you know, a whole series of centipede penises crawling through her nether regions, right? So, men are mad at women. I understand it. I understand it, but I'll tell you, man. You know, man to man, dude to dude, come on. Let's be real. Men are mad at women like Republicans are mad at the government because somehow they imagine that if they had the same power, they would handle it so much better. When you get mad at an entire group, you get mad at individuals, sure, but when you get mad at an entire group, it's because you think that you would not be the same on average in that group. So if you had politicians licking your whatever, to get your vote. If you had advertisers constantly pumping up your vanity and threatening your security, if you had men chasing around you, throwing resources at you, if you had the thirst online that any reasonably attractive woman has since the internet came along, if you had that level of interest and deference and worship and praise and blah, 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 if everyone deferred to you, and everyone praised you. You'd go kind of crazy too. I guarantee it. And so would I. Particularly if this all happened in your teens. Right? And I'm talking 18 plus, right? If you had the kind of praise and deference and pursuit and value that your average late teenage girl has, without the restraints of the risk of pregnancy, without the restraints of the risk of being left over, without the, the risk of running out of money later on in life, without the risk of being undateable if you dated around, without any of those risks, it all the praise, all the deference, all the worship, all the resources, all the pursuit, all the guys asking you out. If you had all of that, before you could legally drink, you'd go crazy too. Hating on women is saying, well, if I was the dictator, I'd do it so much better. I can handle power, but those in that entire category of people can't handle power, but I sure could. No. Because we have such different experiences than women, young men, because we're in hot pursuit rather than being pursued. Because nobody defers to young men. We just get insulted and lied about and slandered and then forced to fight wars when necessary. We are disposable. Nobody pursues us. Nobody defers to us. We got to go out and provide value by doing. We can't just provide value by being. Right? Men 
human doing, women, human being, right? But if the roles were reversed, could you honestly tell me, honestly tell me that if you were a young, hot teenage girl, <laughs> 18 plus, that you wouldn't go a little crazy too? Of course you would. Of course you would. Without a single shred of a doubt. And on aggregate. Now, maybe individuals wouldn't, and there are some very attractive young women who don't go crazy, who understand that it's the luck of the draw and the fortune of the hormones and so on, right? But I guarantee you, you'd go crazy too. You'd go crazy too. Standing back from that and saying, well, it might drive the majority of women crazy to have this level of deference and worship and praise and political power and no responsibility and no consequences. But I'd, I would totally handle that and be totally sane. It's like, no, you wouldn't. No, you wouldn't. You absolutely wouldn't. You can't extract yourself from the general bell curve of human nature and say, and, and even if you would, right, even if you would stay sane with all that deference and worship and power, Maybe you would stay sane, but the vast majority of men wouldn't. But see, men as a whole getting mad at women. You would be the same, on average in aggregate, as women in that situation. I would use the, wrong, the one ring to do good. Yes, that's right. It's the Boromir fantasy, right? Galadriel, right? Satan. It's the great temptation, right? Back to the eye in the attic. So, how can we help women from that situation? Well, the first thing you need to do is to sympathize with a world that is steadfastly driving women insane. Right? This is the goal of the radicals, the revolutionaries, the Marxists, the neo-fascists, the postmodernists, is to drive women insane. And how do you drive people insane? You remove reality from them. You remove pushback, consequences limits. You appeal to the latent narcissism and grandiosity that's in all of us. <laughs> well, except me, of course. Right? The whole purpose of modern culture is to drive women insane, to make them mental. And it's working. I want you to look up a graph for me. Antidepressant use, white women, over time. Are you ready? Antidepressant use, white women, over time. Ah! I mean, it's a straight-up spike. It's like watching the money printing over the last two years when 80% of U.S. dollars have been created in the last couple of years. You understand? The purpose of modern society is to drive women insane. Now, you can drive people to craziness through rampant abuse. But they push back and they recognize that as a negative situation, so there's a good chance they bolt out and be cured. But the best way to drive people crazy is to remove from them any negative consequences for bad choices. I mean, if you want to grow a criminal, if you're a parent and you want to have the biggest chance that your kid is going to become a criminal, then Remove from them the negative consequences of their own bad decisions. Cover up, pay up, 
bully anybody who criticizes. If you want to make people crazy, make them invulnerable. Make them bulletproof. Seriously. There's no better way to kill someone than to convince him he can fly. He'll jump off a building for you. Men have not been targeted at the, with the same level of psyops that women have. We men, I mean, we've kind of been insulted, but the insults are not for us. Right? The, whole, the whole patriarchy and misogyny and, and all of that, you understand, we feel the effects of that, but we're just innocent bystanders. We're like in the blast radius. The purpose of that is to make women feel that they don't need men. Because once women feel that they don't need men, women become, become enormously unattractive. I mean, you can see Kevin Samuels doing heroic work every night on YouTube on this, right? Where he says to women, oh, you know, she says, I'm, an, I'm 35 and, and I'm a professional and I don't need no man. And he's like, are you going to have the $2.4 million you're going to need to live from 65 to 85? Cash, not investment. 2.9, I think that's a little high, but whatever his numbers, right? He's well-researched, well-educated guy, right? So he says to these women, what are you going to do when you run out of money in your seven and you can't pay your rent? Then do you feel like you're going to need a man? The government's not going to be able to cover it because the government's going to be out of money long before then. So he's constantly saying to women, if you've got a career, okay, fine, but you've got to save over $2 million to retire on. If you don't have that, you're toast. He's constantly going out there and saying the strong independent stuff is just a delusional subsidy. So the, the major laser eye of Sauron brain disintegrating shit that's been going on has almost exclusively been focused on women. And men get a lot of splash damage and we take that personally, which I understand, but they're insulting us to wreck women. And it's working. And it's working. Remove from women consequences. How do you do that? Well, you backfill, you give them abortion on demand, and now they're even talking about abortion after birth, which is basically <laughs> murder. It's not basically, it is murder. So you, abortion on demand, so if they have sex with the wrong guy, the, the fundamental functional consequence of promiscuity was sexually transmitted diseases and pregnancy. Now, a lack of responsibility for pregnancy, in other words, you can just go and kill the, the fetus, kill the baby, is a way of taking reality away from women. The most fundamental reality that defines a woman's choices is the vulnerability that she gets from being pregnant, having babies. And if she does decide to keep the baby, you just force men to give her money, whether she's appealing or attractive or not. She could be a total bitch. She can yell at everyone. She can be, where do Karens come from? You understand? Karens come, the, the cliche, racist cliche that it is. Where do Karens come from? These women don't have to be nice. The government's paying their bills. When they get old, the government's going to pay them. The government's going to give them EBD cards. It's going to give them uh, food stamps. It's going to give them welfare. It's going to give them old age pensions. It's going to give them free health care. Give, give, give. You give shit to people. We all know this. We know this. If you're a parent and you've got some money and you just give all this money to your kids, you are going to destroy those children because humanity is defined by limitation. Reality is defined by limitation. Economics are defined by limitation. Food, slenderness, health, all defined by limitation. Limit your time on the couch. Limit the food that you eat. Take away limitations, you take away humanity, it makes people insane. Because we can't live without limitations, at least not in a sane, rational way. So the entire purpose of the modern 
welfare state, modern nanny state, modern postmodernist destroy society shit is all targeted at women. You don't need to be attractive. Why? Because we'll give you money anyway. You don't need to be healthy. Fit at any size. Fat doesn't define health. You can have blue hair. You can use weird makeup. Wanting to be appealing to a man makes you a slave. Got to be independent of men. Got to have your own income. Can't trust a man. This is why all of this sleeping with the enemy shit just gets pointed at women. All these disaster movies and these women in peril movies. Well, I dated this guy. He thought, I thought he was great. I was a white guy. I dated this guy. I thought he was great. Turned out he was a complete psycho who went mad on Drive women away from men. Keep women isolated. Keep them vain. And then when they pass over the horizon, where they're no longer visible in society, completely ignore them and stuff them full of antidepressants. Right? The PSYOP is targeting the women. I've always hated the song, Girls Just Want to Have Fun. I'm not against pleasure and fun, but please, bruh. <laughs> bruh. Bruh. Yeah, women are being attacked as young as early teens. Yeah, for sure. But now, can't even define what a woman is. This explains why they go mental when we say that taxation is theft. Taxation is enabling all this. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, 35 is a geriatric pregnancy, right? So, just recognize that, like, if somebody, if somebody had been raised in a cult, wouldn't you have some sympathy for their strange ideas? Yeah. It's something I remind myself of, too. Like, it's not just for you guys. I'm not just some, oh, you know, compassion. And, you know, I've got to remind myself because this, too, right? Somebody who's raised in a cult, you'd have some sympathy for their bad ideas, right? And women have been targeted in, in public schools. They've been targeted through Disney. They've been targeted through culture as a whole. They've been targeted through advertising. They just go insane, go insane, go insane. Go mad, go mad, go mad. You are only flesh. You never have to have any fear of any consequences for any action. It dissolves people's sense of reality. There's a reason why so many kin kings were insane, because they didn't have any consequences to their behavior. Well, some, I suppose, right? They could have a revolution or whatever it is, right? So, what are your plans for the future? Rebuild the show as best I can. Freedomain.com forward slash donate if you would like to help me out. Yeah, my 16-year-old female students cry because they can't have children because it's bad for the environment. I told them rubbish. They reported me. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the, 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 the joy that women have in, in having children and raising children. You want to see women's faces light up? Just bring a baby into the room, man. Women and babies are a beautiful thing to see together. And now you're told, well, can't have babies because it'll kill the planet. It's like the amount of abuse being heaped on women is just insane these days. Just insane. Women hold too much weight on after 35 IVF pregnancies. They're giving women false hope. Yeah, and there's certainly some truth in that, I think, for sure. Yeah, they say, oh, just freeze your eggs. Oh, just the IVF, blah, blah, blah. It's like, eh. really rolling the dice, man. Really rolling the dice. All right. Listen, um, great chat. I was not going to do two hours, but uh, 
Jesse says, I have four kids. I have my first at 19, my second at 21, my third at 26, my fourth at 35. Well, that is, is quite a spread. You know, 16 years, your, uh, your first and your third, can, the, the, the age gap could drive. <laughs> so, all right, listen, uh, thanks very much for your chats. Uh, if you want to do a call-in, call-in at freedomain.com. appreciate everyone dropping by tonight. It was a great pleasure to chat. As always, such a lovely lovely evening to spend uh, you guys the greatest audience in the world so uh, have yourself a wonderful wonderful weekend i will talk to you soon thank you for dropping by freedomain.com forward slash donate don't forget to check out you can it's free to join freedomain.locals.com great community it's free to join free uh, it's uh, freedomain.locals.com and if you want to sign up you get 12 months for the price of 10 for a short amount of time so thanks everyone so much lots of love and i will try and find a delicate way out of this probably just come from the edit afterwards but uh, yeah, have a, uh, a great evening and I'll talk to you soon. Mwah! Bye.